0: All right, good morning, church. So first things first, we have a shepherd's meeting tonight at 5.30 at the Hutto campus. If you don't know what a shepherd's meeting is, that's okay. Um, it's for all of our leaders, everyone who volunteers and serves in the church to come together and to hear the business and what's taking place in the church. And so 5.30 over at Hutto, if you're not a shepherd, if you're not labeled as a shepherd, that's okay. If this is just your church home, you are still welcome to join us. We would love to have you. Second thing is, um, what a great weekend to celebrate Veterans Day. And this is, uh, if you're a veteran in the room, we want you to stand. Yeah, hold on, hold on, don't clap yet, don't clap yet. If you're a veteran, would you please stand up for us? We just wanna honor you and recognize you. Look at that. Guys, thank you, yes. Yes. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you, guys. I, uh, we do not... Recognize our veterans, um, our first responders, our law officers. Enough. We should probably do it every single week, but we are doing it this week. And thank you for everything that you've done. And I know that you made sacrifices in your family. And today we sit here under the protection that you guys have laid down for us in one way or another. So we just we do we thank you. Um, next thing I would tell you is, as a church family, as a church body, you know, I don't know. Sometimes things drive me crazy, and you know, this. I'm not sure that this is what Jesus went to the cross for. I think he went to the cross for us to know his son, I mean, to know who he is as the son. I think he went to the cross in order that we would function as believers, loving one another, caring for one another, meeting each other's needs. And so, what I really would love to see happen today is before you leave, I would love for you to walk out into the foyer. If you're not on our prayer team, that's okay. You can still get our prayer list every single week and you can be partnering and praying with the people of the church. And so just out in the information center, just say, hey, I wanna wanna get on the prayer list. Um, Well, actually might say, I wanna pray for the prayer list because we want to be praying as a body. And that's part of the function of the church that is so missed today because we come in out of the parking lot and then we get our coffee, we come in and then we scatter. But we are a church family and when one person hurts, we should all hurt. When one person is suffering, we all suffer. And that's sort of lost in our culture today. It's just lost. And so I want us to function that way. And we have one of our church members, um, Heidi Hildago, Heidi and Jose, they're incredible family. Um, But she just had, uh, part of her lung was removed. And my wife was talking to her daughter and saying, how's she doing? She's like, well, she's doing okay, except for when she gets up and tries to walk around. And my wife had great counsel. She said, well, tell her to stop walking around then. I thought that's pretty funny. So Heidi, if you're listening, stop walking around. But I think that I want us as a family to know what each other are going through. And that's one way you can stay connected and we can stay on mission together. So prayer prayer, and the prayer team, would you please, please, please be on that list and be faithful every week. All right, we're gonna be at Genesis 45. Genesis 45, and as we go to Genesis 45, let me cover us in prayer. And then um, I'm gonna get us going here today. God, I thank you for... Your word, I thank you that today as we come in, this is not an opportunity for us to take the scriptures and see ourselves. It's a time for us to see you. I praise you that in the next few moments we will be able to see your order. We'll be able to see the way you have worked through the Hebrew people, through the Israelites. And Lord, I just ask that as we see this, it will reveal to us the truth that you are a God of order and that you are a God that saves. And so Lord, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus name every body in the house said amen 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 okay genesis 45 if we pick up in genesis chapter 45 verse 1 before i pick up there i want to address the fact that we are going to be looking at The order of God. And this is, honestly, this is, uh, it's called ordered revelation. And this means the way that things are revealed to us and the order in which they are revealed to us. Genesis, from start to finish, is telling a story. And I believe that today we are able to stack one block on top of another. And if you've been in the study, you're going to see some things. You're like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. Oh, I remember that. And this is what God is going to do. He's going to unfold this ordered revelation today. And the way I'd look at this, when I was in uh, school, my very first Hebrew class that I ever took, I was um, overwhelmed. I had no idea what I was getting in, into, but what I'd say is our the, the teacher actually, he did a couple things to kind of get us our minds thinking properly. And the way he wanted our minds to think is he broke down the very first word in the Bible, the very first sentence in the Bible, and he showed the ordered revelation. He showed the structure of it. But then he did something that blew my mind. And somebody recently asked me about this. I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely true. And so here's, what, here's the way God is the God of order. So you go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the first five books of the Bible. It's also called the Torah. All right. So in Genesis and Exodus, the first two books in the Bible, every 50 words, the first letter of the 50th word starts with, like the 50th word in the Bible starts with Tav, which is T. It spells out Torah. So in Genesis, every 50 letters, every 50 words, spells out Torah, spells out Torah. That's crazy to me to think about. But then it also does it in Exodus. Every 50 words spells out the word Torah. that's mind blowing to me, but it gets even better. Because I'm going to skip Leviticus and I'll tell you why in a moment. You go to Numbers and you go to Deuteronomy, every 49 letters actually spells out, every 49 words spells out the word Torah backwards. And he said it's because God is a God of order and structure and the Hebrew language is ordered and structured. And so you have first two books of the Bible pointing towards Leviticus. That's why Torah is spelled forward. It's spelled backwards in Numbers of Deuteronomy because it's coming back this way, towards coming backwards this way. So everything is pointing towards Leviticus because in Leviticus, every seven letters spells out the word Yahweh. And both Genesis and Exodus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, point back to Yahweh. And I'm like, that's crazy. It's amazing to me because it is ordered revelation. This is the way God works. And so as we get into Genesis 45 today, we begin to see how amazing and structured God's word absolutely is. If you remember correctly, if we pick up the story, for those of you who haven't been here, we're in Joseph, and Joseph was sold by his brothers who lived in Canaan into slavery. They take him up, Joseph is then taken as a slave up to Egypt. He rises in power, he interprets a couple of dreams for, uh, for some people and then for Pharaoh, and then he is placed as the second most powerful person on planet earth. Well, a famine hits all the region. Egypt is hit by the famine. Canaan and the surrounding areas are hit by the famine. So they run out of food. And so Israel, Jacob, sends Joseph's 11 brothers, 10 of them actually, that had sold him into slavery to Egypt to get food. They they wanted some Chick-fil-A. So he goes, go get some Chick-fil-A. So they get to Egypt. Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. And then he messes with them a little bit. They don't recognize him because he has shaved his beard, which was not custom for Hebrews. They put eye makeup on, all kinds of crazy, Snoop Dogg necklace, I've been through it. They they just dressed him up in costume, looked like he walked like and talked like an Egyptian. So they didn't get it. They didn't know who he was. But he messed with them until finally now he can't stand it anymore. He is ready to reveal his identity to his brothers. And that's where we pick up. Genesis chapter 45, verse one. It says, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out of the room, go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So Joseph, he can't, he can't control himself. He's freaking out. He's like, I gotta tell him, I gotta tell him, I gotta tell him. He wipes off his eye makeup. He takes off his earrings. He takes off his hat. He's like, guys, I don't have a beard, but it's me. It's Joseph. And they are freaked out. Watch this, next verse. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph in verse three said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. I mean, like dismayed is an understatement. Remember 21 years ago, they sold him into slavery. They're looking at him. He doesn't have his beard. He's got the eye makeup on. He's an embarrassment to the family. Everything's looking kind of weird. And they are in shock. He had been speaking through an interpreter. If you remember a few verses, a few chapters back, he was speaking through an interpreter. Well, he's no longer speaking through an interpreter. Everyone left the room. So now he's speaking their native tongue. He's speaking Hebrew to them. And he says, I am Joseph, your brother. Is dad still alive? And they are just jaws on the floor. Can't even believe it. Verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, he says, come near to me, please. So they came near to him and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now he made this comment, come near to me. What he actually is saying here is I need you to look up at my eyes. Look up at my eyes. Because it's still a, probably a basic rule, but someone who is in authority in this culture, it was not common to look them in the eyes. In fact, they would have been frowned upon to look someone of authority in eyes. So they knew he was so powerful. And so they didn't want to look at him. So they said, look in my eyes and come close. I was in the Middle East, this is 20 years ago, but I was in the Middle East. And, and everywhere I went, people want they get, they're real talk, they're close talkers. Like everybody gets in your face. In fact, one of the towns that we went to, they, they kissed like crazy. And it was the weirdest thing because they would come right up and they would start talking. They introduced stuff, and they, one of the guys kissed me on the mouth. Oh, I pulled away, but it was still, I'm just gonna tell, just, I'm gonna be honest with you for a second. It's strange. And some of you, my friends in here, you are close talkers. And the reason I'm backing up is because you're too close. But that's what he's saying, come near, come culturally close, look me in the eyes. In verse five, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Like So, hey, don't beat yourselves up, guys. I get it, I get it, you're freaked out. It's okay, it's okay because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life." Now this is so good. The ordered revelation is beginning to unfold here, but we don't even see it yet until we open it up. So he says, God sent me. This word sent, that Hebrew word sent, is actually the word shalak. Well, we're Texans, so we're gonna say shalak. So it's shalak, shalak. And that actually is the same word as this Hebrew word appointed. So I, I want you to understand, don't be mad at yourselves. Don't be distressed because you sold me. God himself, look, God appointed me. God appointed me. What do he appoint him to? To preserve life. Well, this is gonna get crazy. And I'm gonna, a little spoiler alert. I'm about to take you back to the promise that God made Abraham, made Abram. Because it's in the promise that God made Abram that we're understanding why Joseph is being appointed to preserve life. Because if you remember the three promises, I'm gonna get back to it. The three promises that Abram received from God was number one, offspring. He had no kids, God said you will have kids. That's life. Number two, he had no property, he had no land, I'm gonna give you land. And then number three, God promised his presence. And so those are the three promises from God and we see the first of those promises right here. God appointed me to preserve life. He's holding up the promise that God gave Abram, let me go to verse six and seven because it keeps building. He says, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there is yet five years which there will be no plowing nor no harvest. So he's saying, guys, look, it's bad, but it's gonna get worse. I, I, I freak out, by the way, sometimes when people say this to me, like they're talking about the economy or where America is today, look, I know it's bad. It's gonna get way worse than this. I'm like, really? I don't want it to get way worse than this. That's what he's saying. It's gonna get way worse. And they're thinking, we don't want it to get way worse. What are you talking about? We just traveled five to six days, 300 something miles to come get some grain, some food from you. What do you mean it's gonna get worse? Because it's okay. Because look, verse seven, guys, relax. And this is what I would say to us as the church. Relax because God. Relax because God. Because God. That's what he says. He says, God sent me. Before you to preserve for you a remnant of earth. Remember the two, three promises: life, offspring, land. This is earth, and then his presence, and to keep alive many survivors. Now, I want to get. I want you to sort of not sort of. I want you to fully understand that this word preserve is going to come into play for us to understand. It's actually the word sum, s-u-m, or if you were to pronounce it like a Texan, sum, s-o-o-m. So zoom. And this word preserve assumes some is gonna show back up in the carrying and bearing of the name of God himself. And so God has appointed him, here's what it's saying, God has appointed me to preserve life and to preserve land. Okay, so make sure you get this. Let me take you to Genesis 15, 13. This is gonna take us back. I want you to see the promise that was given. For those of you who weren't here and then just to refresh our memories. This has been a long time ago, 30 something weeks ago. It says, then the Lord said to Abram, so God is speaking to Abram, that's Abraham, God changed his name. Know for certain that your offspring, that's life, will be sojourners in a land that will not be theirs. They will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Now just pause real fast because they lived in Canaan, they sold Joseph, he's up in Egypt. All of the Canaanites, all all of the Israelites, they're all coming to Egypt and they are going to dwell there for over 400 years before they are as slaves. They end up becoming slaves until God frees them. We know the story where God parts the Red Sea. It's gonna be 400 years. So what God says here is true. But God was promising offspring. And then he's talking about land here. Go to the next verse, verse 14. but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now this idea of coming out with great possessions is actually the promise as it continues, they're going to have, you're gonna have your own land. So here's what you need to understand. God told Abram, you are gonna live here in Canaan for a while, but your offspring, which he didn't have kids yet, are going to be taken out of this land. The famine was driving them out. They're gonna go to a place of great abundance, which was Egypt because of Joseph. They're gonna live there for over 400 years. They're gonna be afflicted. They were enslaved in Egypt. And then they are gonna be free to come back to the land that I'm promising you. This is what Abram was promised by God. And so when Joseph says to his brothers, God appointed me to preserve life, that's the offspring. And a remnant of land. He's saying, God is allowing me to carry his promise. Okay, I don't think you get the weight of it, so let me take you one step further. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You guys all know this. The Ten Commandments. In Exodus 19, God had told the Hebrew people, I am claiming you as my people. And the reason that the Ten Commandments come into play are not so that they'll have a list of rules to follow. It's so that they will be able to represent and claim the God who has just claimed them. He's like, I'm claiming you. If you live by this, you are saying you claim me. So the 10 commandments were God's claim on his people. And in claiming his people, he said it this way. You guys all know this and you've, you've heard this before. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, The Lord will not hold him guiltless and take away his name, don't take his name in vain. So we've all been taught this idea of don't take God's name in vain. And you've heard it from the context of don't say a cuss word, don't use his name in a negative way. I've actually taught this in the past, because I believe this, not to use the Lord's name in vain means for your own benefit. And so that's why I don't let, I never let my kids, I don't like it, I cringe a little bit when I hear people say, oh my, and they fill in the blank. Like that's using God's name for your benefit. Contextually, let me make it tell you what it really says. Contextually, God has said, I claim you. And so when he says here, you shall not take, this word take, and then he says, the name, the Lord's your God, what he's ultimately said here, go to the next slide for me. The word take is actually the word carry or hold. It's the word Nassau, which I called it when I was learning this Nassau, this remember it. it's NASA, because you take off in NASA. Right, Nasa takes off, so that's just an easy way to remember that. So Nasa means take or carry, and then Sim is name. So do not carry my name in a way that is not claiming I am your God. See, the thing is, is I think some of you don't cuss and take the Lord's name in vain, but you do not carry his name as if you claim him in your day-to-day life. And this is what this is commanding. It's pleading for God's people to actually live like they have faith in him. It's powerful. To make sure you really get that this is a common theme that Joseph's experiencing, that the Ten Commandments are spoken with. God appointed a a priestly system and Aaron was the priest at this time. Uh, Exodus 28. Let's go to Exodus 28. I think that's where I wanted us to go. Yeah, Exodus 28, 29. Aaron is functioning as a priest at this time. Okay, it says, Aaron shall bear the names. So here we go. Bear the names of the sons of Israel and the breastplate of the judgment of his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them regular remembrance before the Lord. So Aaron is the priest who put on a breastplate which actually had the 12 tribes of Israel. So Joseph and his brother's names were written on this breastplate. And he would walk into the holy of holies. He'd walk into a place of the tabernacle to actually Pray for and get a word for the people, but he would be wearing the names. Okay, I want you to see this because this is the exact same command that's given in Exodus 27 Bear the names. So go to the slide for me again. So bear, carry, take. It is the exact same word in the Hebrew Bible. You can look it up yourself. Nasa. You shall bear. The name, Aaron will bear the name. He is going to carry the name of the tribes everywhere he goes. But when he enters the presence of God, he will carry the names of the tribes with him. And so when God says that we shall not take his name in vain, he's like, you're going to bear my name, carry my name everywhere you go. So those of us in this room who believe that Jesus went to Calvary's cross was placed in a borrowed tomb, three days later he resurrected and we have proclaimed and staked our faith and our eternity on that hope. And we have repented of our sins and called upon the name Jesus. You bear the name of God. The Bible says you're an image bearer. And so understanding this, there's a responsibility for us not to be wackadoodles. There's a responsibility for us to understand that God is a God of order. And he spoke and he did and he shared and he opened these platforms so that we would be able to walk with him. And in this particular case, come back down with me to Genesis 45, eight now. Joseph's still speaking, his brother's jaw still on the floor. They're shocked, he's speaking Hebrew. They're still ashamed that they sold him into slavery. He says, so guys, it was not you. Why are you so vain? It wasn't you that sent me. But God, God has ordained and appointed me to bear and carry his name in order that his presence, in order that his people, in order that land would be preserved. Joseph understood his calling. There are a lot of Christians today in this room and in this world who do not have a grip on their calling. You are not called to come in here on Sunday mornings and stare at me and just nod your head. You are called to be the light of the earth. You are called to be the hands and the feet, ambassadors of a holy and righteous God. And so I am not trying to guilt anybody. I'm just telling you that you claim Jesus. You bear his name everywhere you go. And then for us to be on mission, for us to be relentless for the gospel, it means that we are relentlessly loving people, relentlessly serving people. It means that we are all out on this thing that we call Christianity. We're all in. There is no part way in, part way out. We're all in. And when you're not all in, I know this to be fact because I deal with all of my friends in this room and those listening online, you find places of misery. When you're not all in, you find complete and utter misery. That's what awaits you because you're bearing a name God said, don't take my name and not bear it well. Do not make a vow to me and not keep it. Like God says it's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. Utter misery. It's like, God has put me in this place. He has made me fathered Pharaoh. And the Lord has given me the rule of all the land of Egypt. This is God's work. This is not you guys. Verse nine, hurry, go and tell my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry, and you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And you shall bear, and you shall, bear my name, that's what it says. It says, you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. So, Joseph's saying, go get dad, go get your kids, go get your cattle, go get your friends, go get your relatives, go get everybody from Canaan. There's no food there. Come down to Egypt. I'm gonna put you guys in a great town. You are going to live in Round Rock, I'm sorry, you're gonna live in Goshen. (laughs) And what's funny about this, not funny, but what's crazy is, so 400 years of time is gonna elapse, it's gonna pass. And it's gonna be time for the Hebrew people to actually leave slavery, which the Egyptians, take them as slaves and they're going to leave. And when they're leaving, we actually hear in the book of Exodus that the Hebrew people, the Israelites, dwell in the land of Goshen. So the land that Joseph is going to give them here, 400 years from now in history, this is still where they're at and where they're plucked up out of to be freed from Pharaoh's rule of thumb. Is that crazy? Still there. Okay, let me tell you one more thing. You guys don't like that, so let me try a little bit harder. So the Nile River actually broke off into, a, it kind of spreads out into five, into a delta. These five things sort of span out. This land was perfect for shepherds. And that is where the land of Goshen was so that once the Nile filled back up for 400 years, they had plenty of water. They could water their crops. They could feed their animals. They could feed the shepherds. It's still not working for you. Okay, I could keep going, but I'm gonna stop there. I'm not gonna win your approval, that's fine. Verse 11, there I will provide for you. So he has said, God sent me, he appointed, God pointed me to protect life, which offspring, and land. Those are the two promises. The other promise was his presence. And now he's saying, and I will. This is the same word, and if you uh, ever heard the pastor over at our Hutto Campus teach, he pounded this for months. The I will, the I will, the I will, the I will. Because this was God's promise and this was a representation of his presence. And so when you begin to find yourself in this moment, this I will is his presence. So people, offspring, land, and his presence have all been now carried by Joseph and he's gonna bear them because he's bearing the name of God. He is doing the work of God. And he says, for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come in poverty. So you guys aren't coming in poverty. Like you're coming and I'm gonna take care of you. Verse 12, and now your eyes see, the eyes of my brother, Benjamin, he sees that it is my mouth that speaks to you. There's Jaw still on the floor. Don't forget the opening scene. Jaw still on the floor. You must tell my father of all of my honor in Egypt and that... You have seen, and that you've seen me, the other thing you've seen, hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked to him. Now this is pretty big deal, that his brothers are talking to him. It's a pretty big deal because, Here's where we left off. I'm not talking about left off like he was dropped into the pit to be sold into slavery. Before he got to the pit, let me drop off where the relationship where Joseph and his brothers were. Okay? Genesis chapter 37, verse 8, or verse 4. But his Joseph's brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all the brothers, and they hated Joseph, and they could not speak peacefully to him. So they wouldn't speak to him because they hated him. 37:8. His brothers, Joseph's brothers, said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are we indeed to rule over, you were gonna rule over us? So they hated him, him being Joseph. They hated him. They couldn't even speak words to him. I don't know how much, I, I think everybody in this room, at some point, somebody's hated you. I don't know. I used to get offended when people hated me, but then I realized the Bible said, woe to the man that all men speak well of. So if everybody spoke well of me, that means that I'm probably not, well, I won't say that. Here's what I'll tell you. Here's what I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you the story. So I, I was actually, so talking about being hated, I've hated so bad by somebody once that it, our preschool, which our preschool is phenomenal, right? So we got a preschool and we got an academy, both here in Round Rock and Hutto. And so make sure that your neighbors, everybody knows about this, but our academy is awesome. Within the year do graduation. And so I came up to pray at a graduation and a family that had been in our church, actually a big part of our church, They hated me so bad, I got up to pray and they walked out while I was praying. Like you got to hate somebody to walk out in the middle of praying over kindergartners. Like there's a whole nother level, right? Joseph has experienced this. And now he's talking 21 years of catching up. 21 years, they've been separated. They've hated and now they're catching up. Verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers had come in, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to, my, say to your brothers, do this and load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. I once was being taught this, by the way. And someone said that that word beast um, meant dinosaurs. And it was proof that there were dinosaurs. They used this verse. And take your father, verse 18, and your household and come to me, and I will, give you, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt so that you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the, from the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is all yours. So he's like, like everything we have is all yours. It's all yours, everything. Well, what we have watched and witnessed here is we've watched forgiveness at a high capacity, right? We've watched now generosity at a high capacity and we're watching reconciliation at a high capacity. And these would be the three typical ways that um, this Bible study would be taught. Here's what this passage teaches us about us. You can forgive, you can recognize, you can be reconciled, you can be generous, But again, the Bible is not about self-help. It's about how does God help? And I think it's a really important distinction to be made because what God does in this scenario is he has ordered events in order that he could save his people. And Pharaoh is now being a conduit just as Joseph was a conduit in order to save his people, to draw them in to safety. So it's like, come live amongst this land. It's all yours. Generosity is off the charts. I, I was, by the way, I ran over some a screw. I get screws in my tires all the time. I don't know how I get nails and tires and nails and screws in my tires so much, but I do. Does anybody else? Am I alone? Like, I don't. I think that I, I think someone's out to get me. That's what I think. Well, I called Firestone. They said, "Yeah, drop it off. We'll get it to you tomorrow." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I'm not. I don't have that much time." And so. Um, I ended up calling around. I called a store off off of 79. It's called Tires for You. It's off 79. It's right by our Hutto campus. It's called Tires for You. So I drove over there. They got me in. took about 30, 40 minutes. They had me in and out. They walk out. And the guy says to me, I I said to him, I said, have a page yet. He goes, no, no, it's on the house. I said, no, 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 I'll I'll take care of my stuff. I I thought, well, anyway, "I'll, I'll take care of it. No, it's good. He goes, no, no, it's a free service that we offer. Just leave us a good Google review. And I said, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't want to Google, I don't do Google reviews, but I will, I'm a pastor and I'll tell the church that you guys took care of me. He goes, yeah, whatever's fine. And so, all right, there's my public service. <laughs> Someone was very generous to me, it was generosity. And, and I felt, it's like, yes, it's freeing. Well, the generosity is now being passed on to Joseph's brothers. It says, the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and he gave them provisions for the journey to each, uh, to each and all of them. He gave change of clothes, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows. Ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. And then he sent his brothers on their way. And as they departed, he said to them, don't fight. Like, like, don't fight. And it's just so funny to me. And I don't know if he was telling them, hey, don't attack, because he's got a couple brothers that if you remember, cleaned out an entire village once. I don't know if he's saying, hey, don't fight other people. Or if he's saying, don't fight amongst yourselves out of guilt and grief because of what you've done to me. Because this is God's plan, not yours. But regardless, he says, go and don't fight. Just like, okay. So they went out of Egypt and they came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and is a rule, he's a ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. I got a couple things here that I want to identify. One, 21 years ago, these brothers went into their dad and said, it's sad, sad day. Joseph was ripped apart by a wild beast and he's dead. Jacob mourned and 21 years later it's still not over the death of his son. And now they've walked in, the same ones who told him that he was dead, walk in and say, nope, psych. He's alive, he's alive. Now, his heart was numb. There are lots of things that numb our hearts, but there is nothing more numbing on planet Earth, in my opinion, than someone's disbelief in God. When When we build that wall up against God, and we cannot receive, hear, or follow His love, His path for us, that's where I see hearts become not just numb, but just hardened. And I understand that we go through hard things in this life and there are seasons that you're gonna be numb, absolutely. But God is a healing God and He heals the numb heart. He heals the heart that needs to be touched. This is who God is, it's a beautiful thing. His heart's numb. He didn't believe him. But then he goes. They say, "Look, Dad. Look, just look out the window." It was like uh, they had these really cool plantation blinds. They opened them up, and it says, "I'm just kidding." But then they told him these words that Joseph, which he said to them, and then he looked out. He saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him. It says that his spirit was revived. This word "revived," the Hebrew word is actually "ha'ya." <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, and I, t- I just, these are the ways I remember stuff. It's, it's the same word that is used to describe um, the resurrection of Jesus would be, respo- res- re- you know what the word I'm starting to say, would it be said this way, revived, restored. And so this is like a whole new transformation, a whole new life, a whole new outlook is now in front of Jacob. He was in his home thinking my kids are gonna starve, I'm gonna starve. He's sending them off for food. He's pretty sure his first son, Joseph, is dead. He's pretty sure Benjamin's not gonna make it back either because they're gonna kill him, so he'll be even more miserable. He thinks his life is over and everything is done. He's ready just to cash in his chips. Then it says, yeah, he was revived. And then this revival of spirit, it says, Israel said in verse 28, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. That is enough to stir me. That is enough to get me up off my rear end. That is enough to get me to go see him before he dies. That is enough. I wish sometimes just hearing that the son who went to the cross for you, went to the grave for you, that the son was alive, was enough to get us off our tushes. At this moment here, I'm gonna go see him before I die. I'd love to end this passage saying, what are you gonna do before you die? Are you gonna give your life to Jesus before you die? There's all kinds of stuff I wanna say, but I can't steal from the order that's put together here. My wife and I took our kids to Disney World years ago and she put an agenda together. And as she put this agenda together, it was so organized, so detailed. Like I had bathroom breaks but we saw all the parks. (laughs) But it was very detailed and it was ordered and I was able to experience everything I was supposed to experience. God has put the scriptures together in a way that it's organized and its order, in order that we can experience everything we need to experience, not so that we can have our best life now, that's a joke. It is so that we can understand who he is as our creator. We can understand that God saves, that God is the authority, that God is the author, the director, he is the creator. His hands are constantly working, moving and shaping every step of our lives. When you go through something tough, guess who's still in control? You go through something great, guess who's in control. I have people all the time coming to me now, living in complete fear over the war and everything that's taking place. I'm like, do you understand that God? And that's what I wanna pray over you today. That's what I'm gonna pray over us today. Our God saves, our God orders our steps. Our God is God. And sometimes we just don't rest in that. Father, I praise you for your grace. I thank you that in this room today that there is a mercy that rests on each one of us. I praise you that in this place today, there is something to be said about the fact that you have ordered every word in the scriptures to point us to you, not to ourselves, not to our hopes, not to how we can have a better life, not how can we be more exalted, but Lord, how you are exalted, how you are creator, how you are the organizer, how you are God. So I thank you for your word that points to you, not us. And I praise you that as you point yourself out to us, that you point our eyes and direct our eyes to you, you teach us in your word to fix our eyes on who you are. You tell us to bind our hearts to who you are. You actually instruct us to abide in you. And so, Lord, what I pray over my church family today is that Through the order of the scriptures, we would recognize that, God, you save. God, you remove fear. God, you organize. And it's in moments like this that we can just surrender to the fact that Genesis 1-1 was probably enough for most of us. That in the beginning, you, Father God, we could stop there because you are the end-all, the be-all, the alpha and the omega. You are the creator. You are the king of the universe today. Father God, we just praise you that you have shown us a glimpse of yet your clever organization and your revelation of who you are to us. God who saves. We praise you for this truth. In Jesus' name, everybody in the place said, amen, amen, and amen. God is a God who said,